podium there. <laughs> I didn't realize till we, we moved up here, and it's a little bit of a tighter squeeze with where they are. Everything sort of comes together down here. But anyway, uh, tonight we're beginning, or we began this past week, a new unit in our one word books, and that has to do with relationships. And we're beginning by talking about mother. And I have a feeling that, like Easter, they'd plan this out to where more often than not, this lesson would fall the week of Mother's Day, but for whatever reason, because of the calendar this year, we're, we're one week off. But this word is a little bit atypical of our word studies because we don't need to go through and compare and tease out the nuances of the Hebrew or the Greek compared to the English language. We all know this word, and it means the same thing uh, across different languages. Our English word, mother, is probably based on the syllable ma, which is a sort of onomatopoeia. It's uh, the sound that a nursing baby makes, that sort of uh, burbling sound. At least that's what most linguists think. And so for that reason, you find that behind mama, you find it behind mammal, for that matter. And you actually find this same term or the same root here across a variety of different languages. Uh, the word for mother is very similar in Latin. It's mater. It's very similar in Greek. It's mater. And we could go on down the line. Modern languages, ancient languages, virtually all Indo-European languages. So we're talking languages that otherwise are really disparate in their different words, Germanic languages, uh, the Romance languages, Italian, uh, Spanish, French, etc., Slavic languages even. All of their terms for mother are extremely similar, even Sanskrit. And the same thing is really true for Hebrew. Now, Hebrew isn't an Indo-European language, but the word there comes from a, a very similar sound. Ima is the word, so you have that ma sound there. So in other words... The idea of mother is something, if we're talking about the word, it transcends languages and even language families. Everybody knows what a mother is. So we want to focus tonight particularly on how God describes the ideal mother and what our responsibilities are to her. And for that, we want to examine a familiar chapter, Proverbs chapter 31 together this evening. Uh, this was actually in our reading this week on Monday, I believe. And if you did that reading, the author of this week's lessons made it what I thought was an interesting point that I hadn't really considered in quite the way he made it before. This chapter is an oracle taught to King Lemuel by his mother. Now, I knew that and I remembered that. But, of course, he makes the point that this isn't just about what we find starting in verse number 10, this uh, ideal woman, as we usually call it. But King Lemuel's mother has a great deal to teach him in those first several verses here. She broaches some really difficult topics, uh, sexuality, uh, alcohol, the justice that a king needs to extend working through this chapter. So, in other words, th this is a mother who is intent on instilling godly wisdom in her son. That's a powerful reminder of the influence that a mother can have. But of course, most famously is the description of what Lemuel should look for in a mate, beginning there in verse number 10, and by extension, what a godly mother looks like. 
So here we have a model that all women should aspire to, keeping in mind their own particular differences and their own specific situations. And we also need to keep in mind this passage, this proverb, wasn't written to make you feel guilty about the fact that maybe you don't live up to all this at all times. It wasn't written to place unrealistic expectations on your life. It's written as a model, something you can aspire to, a goal to sort of hold out in front of you and show you your God-given potential. So I want us to notice just a few things about this ideal woman, we usually call it, but more specifically, an ideal mother that we have revealed here in Proverbs chapter 31. The first thing we want to note about her is that she is a valuable wife. Now, I do want to note this right here, just as we sort of begin this lesson, talking about wives, talking about mothers in particular. This isn't to say that you will never have value, you will never fulfill your God-given role if you're single your entire life. I know that's not what our lesson's about this evening, but I think it's important to present that disclaimer from time to time. Because, well, I was just two months shy of my 30th birthday before I got married. And I'd like to think that I wasn't completely useless up until then. I don't know about the rest of you. Scripture teaches that marriage is an honorable relationship. God values it highly. But it also places great honor on being single. In fact, if you look at a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says there that there's some things a single person can do that a married person can't because that married person is focused on their spouse. And I say all that because I worry that sometimes, whether this is intentional or not, we make single adults in the church feel like second-class citizens. And I, I think that's too bad. I, I know some uh, adults who live their whole lives that way, and that's been their choice. Or maybe it's been some circumstances that were out of their control. But they still have a role to play. They're still valued by God. And as Paul says, there's some things they can do that others can't. But to return to our main subject this evening, if you're married, God expects you to be a valuable spouse. Do you know what made this woman such a valuable wife? Look in verse number 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She worked with her husband instead of against him. That's a tremendous example. They realize that they're on the same team. They're partners. So rather than competing with one another or fighting against each other, they cooperate together because they have the same goal to provide for, to maintain, to build a godly family. We see, secondly, that she was a vigorous worker, and we see that manifested in a number of ways here. Uh, If you're fulfilling that goal of being a, a valuable wife and a good mother, there's a lot of hard work involved. Now, this is easy for me to say since we don't have any children, but parents, parents shouldn't be lazy, especially where their children are concerned. It's a, it's a hard job. I think from the outside, I realize that. And of course, I'm sure if we ever have children, that I'll realize that even more. 
but those of you who do have children, whether they're still in the home or not, you know just how difficult it is. And this mother in this chapter is certainly not lazy. So for one thing, she works hard at home. Verse 15, she rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Look at verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. You know, there's that old saying that a woman's work is never done, and that's especially true of her work in the home. You think of all the different hats that a mother has to wear. She has to be a nurse. She has to be a teacher. She has to be a child psychologist. She has to be a dietitian. She has to be a housekeeper. She has to be a cook. On and on and on we could go with those things. That takes a lot of hard work. The virtuous woman here is not negligent in any of those duties. She works hard at all of that. And of course, as a sort of by the way point, her husband shouldn't be remiss in doing those duties either. He needs to appreciate that hard work, and he needs to give her a hand when the opportunity arises. She also works hard, though, and I think this is very interesting. I'm not sure if you ever realized this or not. She works hard on the job. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. These verses and others in this chapter, incidentally, we're going to mention one in a moment, but where she considers a field and she buys it. This describes a career woman. She's busy buying and selling and trading. Some people have this idea, and you know, I've heard it perpetuated even in the church at times, that Scripture uh, condemns women working outside the home. Nothing could be further from the truth when you read through this passage. Now, do women have a a role as uh, homemakers that's very valued by Scripture? Yes, absolutely. But this woman isn't condemned for this work she does outside the home, buying and selling. To the contrary, she's commended for that. She's a good wife and a good mother precisely because she helps provide for the family. That's important. She even works hard. She even works hard when she shops. I don't know of any better way to put it. Verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. So in other words, she knows the value of a dollar. She doesn't squander money. She's very wise in the things that she purchases. So you put all that together and you see that this ideal mother, she is a valuable wife. She is a vigorous worker in all of these different fields, in the home, in shopping, in her career. But finally, and most importantly, she is a virtuous woman. And that's what we normally think of when we think of this passage. And an excellent wife who can find, the ESV says, but we're probably more familiar with a, a virtuous woman who can find. Our society places a great deal of emphasis on people's looks in particular on women's looks. We're all aware of that. 
But this passage reminds us that there are things that are so much more important than that. And this woman has substance and virtue. Uh, Verse number 20 describes the compassion she shows. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 25 describes the character she has. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Verse 26 describes the counsel she gives. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. You think about this virtue, this compassion, this wisdom, this kindness. To sum it all up, she's Christ-like. That's the way we would put it if we think about our New Testament model in Jesus. This woman is Christ-like. What a tremendous example to follow. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look your best, but as he says at the end, we're going to see in a moment, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. It's far more important to be a person, whether you're a man or a woman, of substance and of virtue. And so I suggest that all women, whether you're young or old, whether you're mothers or not, whether you're married or not, for that matter, you should keep this woman as your role model. Follow her. You'll find guidance. She'll help you find your fulfillment. She'll help you find satisfaction. And I think that's particularly true for mothers. Now, we could close our lesson here, but I want us to note one more very important thing, and this was read just a few moments ago, starting in verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands. And let her works praise her in the gates. For the most part tonight, we've been preaching to the ladies, but if we're thinking about our relationships here, I don't want the rest of us to be left out, so let's preach to all of us here for just a moment. These last four verses say that a godly woman deserves to be praised. Husbands, do you do that? Children, and I'm not talking to just little children. We're, we, we've all got some parents, right? So children, no matter how long it's been since you've left your parents' home, do you do that? It feels good to do that, for one thing, to say positive things to those that we care about, those who've given so much to us. But also, it honors God, when we do that, when we rise up and and praise our mothers. God made this world. God is still at work in this world. And so when we praise his creation, when we praise someone who reflects him, images him the way this godly mother does, we're indirectly praising him because she's modeling him to us. And then, too, it strengthens godly mothers. Remember what we talked about this morning? how we all need encouragement, how we all need to continue to be stirred up to love and good works. You think that godly mother needs encouragement from time to time? I know that she does. All of us need to hear someone say to us at some point, hey, you're you're doing a great job, or I appreciate you, or keep up the good work, whatever it may be. 
when you praise those godly women in your life, then you're encouraging them, spurring them on in their walk with the Lord. So ladies, I encourage all of you, whatever your situation, to emulate this woman of Proverbs 31, in particular if you're mothers. But even if you're not, there's a great model for you here. Children, no matter how old you are, I want to encourage you to honor your mothers, to praise them when you have that opportunity. Appreciate all they've done. Husbands, we need to love and we need to honor and we need to treasure our wives. Now the best way that we can do all of that, the best way we can honor God, the best way we can live up to his ideal, the best way we can honor those virtuous, godly women who've influenced us in our lives is to be followers of Christ. And if you're here tonight and you've never become his follower, I urge you to do so. Or if more likely, as I look around this room tonight, you already are a Christian. Maybe you've stumbled somewhere along the way. Maybe you've drifted from that influence that you've had in your life and you've turned away from walking in the light. You need to make changes. Whatever your need may be, I encourage you, if you're subject to the invitation, to come now while we stand and while we sing. Is for you and